Okay, so this is gonna be the second video in our series that's covering the Great Commission. Or as we talked about last week, as some people refer to it, the Great Omission. And this week we're gonna delve into whether or not there is a command to go. How do we or how should we read this verse in Matthew 28, 19? This is part of our Bible 101 series. And we're exploring Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and this is what we refer to as the Great Commission. And what I'm trying to do through this series, by going deep into these two verses, is to give you a new perspective on what Jesus is telling us, and then what the disciples end up doing. And then what I want to do is to be able to provide the fullest argument that we can for the many aspects of what's going on in this commission. And this is a commission, a commission to make disciples. And so what we find, often these details are argued out piecemeal. So you might see somebody argue about where the command is, make that argument, where the command is in the verse. And then the next person might talk about baptizing. And the next person might talk about what disciples are. But I think these are all deeply connected. And for us to fully understand what is being said here, what Jesus is asking us or commanding us to do, we need to put them together, line them up. Because when we line them up properly, we're going to see something different about what we should be doing, making disciples. And then we have to consider what kind of impact that would have on the world if we had disciples of Jesus rather than just converts. Now, all of this, this is highly detailed. It sometimes gets tedious, but it's very important if you're going to make an argument for reading this differently because so many people are going to need to hear more than just a few little details. So make sure you download the handouts that we're providing. Because a lot of this argument, it's not always easy to articulate. Download the handouts. They go along with the videos. You can take your own notes. And that will really help you then to solidify within your own being what Jesus is telling us to do. So the first thing we're going to do is just a quick review from last week, part one. Now, if you didn't see part one, I would recommend going back and watching that. But for those of you who did, we're just going to do a quick refresher. We introduced last week the exploration of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and that the suggestion that these verses are often read incorrectly, and then that that misreading of the text, well, it causes us to deviate from what Jesus actually wants us to do. So it's important that we make sure that we're reading the verse correctly. And so even if we're able to translate the Greek into in an appropriate English word, then we have to look at what happens to our emphasis when we're reading. What if our emphasis gets misplaced? What if we have the proper English word, but in our minds we're reading it, right? If we overemphasize the word go, and we minimize the command to make disciples, then we're going to end up doing something that's not as effective as what Jesus wants us to do. Now, this has been the criticism by many scholars. So those scholars who refer to this as the great omission, 
And I mentioned last week, there's an excellent book by the late Dallas Willard, and it's appropriately titled The Great Omission. And his critique is that the church has engaged in the going, right? We're going out, we're going to make converts to Christianity and members of the church, but what the church is failing to do is actually make disciples of Jesus. And that is the ultimate goal. And you can see this. You can see this in our modern church services. This has been so overemphasized, this idea of going, right? Elevating the command to go. This has become so normalized that we have entire sermon series that you'll see in churches called Go. So here's an example of one. Therefore, go. Following the voice of God. You have this one. Go. It's God's call for ordinary people. Now, is that the call? Okay. And then this one, this is the most blatant of all. Go, our great commission. Now that, I'm sorry, is incorrect. Going is not the great commission, but that's how many people think of it. And if week after week you saw this sermon series title, what would you assume the great commission is all about? And you can see that for many Christians, it's very easy to understand that if you ask them what's the Great Commission, the answer has the main emphasis of going, and very little, if any, on making disciples. Sometimes we skip right over the disciple-making, and we go on to the baptizing, because we're familiar with that sacrament of baptism. And this is particularly true in the Western Church, but especially here in the United States, where I'm speaking from. Okay, so last week we talked about then, there are four verbs in the verse, three of which are in participle form. So we have therefore go, we have make disciples, we have baptizing, and we have teaching. And we noted last week that the main verb is the imperative. Imperative means command. And what's the command? To make disciples. So, make disciples is the imperative. That's the main verb of the sentence, which means that the other verbs that are in participle form are supporting the main verb. So, we could diagram it like this How do we make disciples? Particularly the baptizing and the teaching. These are ongoing actions in support of making a disciple. What do you have to do to make a disciple, not a convert, a disciple? And so, when we have somebody who says, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you want to become just like Jesus, then we have to baptize continuously, or maybe a better English word, and I'll argue for, is immerse. We immerse an individual in the ways of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the church, the community, all of that. All of life is immersed. And of course, this involves teaching. So these are two ongoing things that are playing out in the process of making a disciple. And so we immerse, and so we teach, and by doing that, we're in the process of creating somebody who's just like Jesus. It's a transformational process. And God willing, I'll show you when we talk about baptism, it's a process that cannot be undone. That's the idea. 
you're so thoroughly changed that it's not going to be undone. Okay? Now, and what we talked about last week was, then this all comes down to this. How do you read it? Right? We have our English translation, but the idea is, how do we read the text? What's the voice in our head saying? How do we understand what the verse is telling us to do? And it's just not that simple as translating one Greek word into English after another and that it automatically tells us what to do. It doesn't. And so we talked about last week this process of translation. We start with the, with a, I'm sorry, the Greek text. We have to then translate this into English. But oddly enough, translation also involves some level of interpretation, meaning where does this word fall in the sentence, grammar and syntax. We also always have in mind what the meaning is and what's our conceptual framework. And so it's hard for people, if you haven't done any study of translation, people often think it's simply Take the Greek word, put it right into English, that's all you have to do. But that's not it, because you have to create a sentence and you have in your mind what the meaning is and you have a conceptual framework. And all of that, all of these are happening at the same time. Now, throughout church history, as we have gone through this process with the Greek text of the New Testament or the Hebrew of the Old Testament, what we often leave out, or what, what the church has traditionally left out, is the Hebrew mind. What was the original context? What's the mind behind these actions, these words? And it's a Hebrew mindset. There's a Hebrew mind behind the text. And when we do that, we start to get closer to what the original meaning was. What did Jesus mean? And so all of this is happening all at the same time, in order to come up with a verse that we see in English in our Bible. And Bible translators, you know, they have their own biases and blind spots and everything else. They can often translate a verse based on their conceptual framework. You change the conceptual framework, you change the way you read the verse. And so, this is the importance of doing a very deliberate study of the text not just hearing a sermon on Sunday, but a deliberate study. When you do a deliberate study, you always see things you didn't see before. You always learn the nuances of the verse, of what the context is going around it. And so therefore, if you change that the conceptual framework based on the original context, you'll often change the meaning of the verse because you read it differently. And that's the importance of doing a study like this. Okay, so what this comes down to is if we go back to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and we ask, what's the command? What is Jesus commanding us to do? And then how do we read it? How do we hear it in our mind? And so we have the words, therefore, and go. And there's nothing wrong with those. Translating the Greek from therefore, go, followed by make disciples. The distortion comes in is when we take this go and we emphasize it to where the go drowns out the making of disciples. That's the problem. It's not simply the translation. It's the reading it and where our emphasis goes. Okay? And so what should be happening is instead of the go, it should be make. 
And this gets into how do you read it? How do you look at the text? Where do you place your emphasis? What's the most important thing? And so this is what we're going to do today as we go through this. I'll show you some other examples in Matthew that'll help you then when you get to this sentence in uh, Matthew 28, 19, how to read it, okay? So last week I gave you this list of topics. I'm going to add one this week. We briefly went over the history of the phrase the Great Commission. So we know that verse as the Great Commission, but that's relatively new within Christianity. We talked both last week and this week. Where's the command? What's the imperative in the verse? And the imperative is to make a disciple. That's going to lead us next week, disciple versus convert. What do you mean by disciple? What did Jesus and Paul and the other disciples conceive of? When they hear the word disciple, what was a first century Jewish disciple that's different than a convert? And particularly, we're going to ask, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus rather than a convert to Christianity? Okay? Now, in doing that, we're going to look at baptizing. And that, as I mentioned, is an ongoing process. What does that mean? And I think and you can say, look, baptizing, that's a proper translation. It's not that it's an incorrect translation. It's what does baptizing mean? How do you conceive of that word? And can it be uh, used for something else? The answer, is, of course, is yes. And so in this case, a better English word might be immersing, and we'll talk about that. Briefly, we'll look at into the name of, what does that mean? into the name of. Some scholars translate that as into the reality of. Um, what's the agent that we're being immersed into? The agent that causes the change is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we're immersed into that agent so that we come out a permanently changed individual on the other side. That's the transformation to be just like Jesus. And the whole point, then, is not so that we can understand the right doctrine. It's about obedience, so that our walk in the world is just like Jesus. So we have to understand what his teachings are, and then how do we apply those to our lives, not just doctrinal ideas. And we briefly talked about Mark 16. This is 9 to 20. This is what causes some confusion, uh, because. If you look at our, the video from last week, Mark 16, 9 to 20, it's absent from early manuscripts, which means somebody added it later. So what you do is you get a little bit different flavor of the Great Commission, and that gets conflated with Matthew, creates all kinds of confusion. And then the last piece that I'm going to add is I want you to see how this commissioning compares to other commissionings in the Bible. So we have commissionings throughout the Bible. Moses is commissioned, Joshua is commissioned, Gideon is commissioned, Isaiah is commissioned. God commissions people to go do something, and there are similarities in every commissioning, and you find that also in Matthew. So we'll do that. Uh, just to, It really just helps you um, deepen what's going on here in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Okay, so all of this leads us to this week's lesson. Did Jesus command us to go? How do we read the word go? 
do we give it the full force of an imperative? So is it a command? Now, it can take on the characteristics of an imperative, but how much force do we give it then? How much emphasis do we place on it? Does it have the same force as making disciples? And really, as I mentioned earlier, it's a matter of emphasis. Right? Is it possible that we can translate the word go without it overwhelming the command make disciples? Okay? Now, the way that we're going to do this, because we want to understand the go in Matthew 28, 19, we're going to look at other examples of this structure, grammatical structure, that Matthew uses in his gospel. And I want to keep it in Matthew because we want to see how the author of Matthew is putting this together. Because we find examples within Matthew, and then that'll help us where do we place our emphasis when we get to Matthew 28, 19. Okay, so for instance, here's our Greek word. We would say go, it can mean journey. It's poriphentes is the verb. Well, that's the participle. So it's a verb, aorist, part or passive participle. So there's where we get our very first participle in the verse that we would say is go. Now, what happens in Matthew is he's going to use that participle for go. He's going to follow it then by a verb, and that verb is going to be an imperative. Just like go therefore and make disciples. So it's the same type of grammatical structure. And then when we look at these other verses with the same grammatical structure, I want you to think in your head, how much emphasis do I give the word go? Is it a separate command? Because some people say the go in Matthew 28, 19 is a command itself. And that's not. It's how you hear it in your head. So, okay. Now, one of the things I wanted to do is to show you how you can go look this up yourself. It can be very enlightening, if you haven't done this before, to go search out the original languages. Okay, there are many Bible websites that you can go to. I'm just going to show you one. I end up using this regularly, just probably because I'm used to it. I also have, um, I, just so you know, I also use another software called Logos, and that one is significantly more powerful, but you also have to pay for everything, and uh, this one is free. You can just go on the internet. So this one is called Bible Hub. So BibleHub.com. Very simple. And it's a hub of a whole bunch of translations of the Bible. So what you're going to do is you go to Bible Hub, and up here where it says enter reference or keyword, we're going to put in Matthew 28, 19. That's our verse. And so here what you'll do is it will take you then to Matthew 28, 19. And the great thing about this website is it's going to show you about, I would say, 25 to 30 different translations of the same verse. This can be very helpful. You see how different groups of translators decided to bring the Greek into English. So, for instance, right here at the top, 
What are we looking at? That's the new international version. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you were to go down this page, then you could see here's the English Standard Version. You might say, well, let's compare that to a more literal, Berean literal translation. Of course, you could, if you want to put it into Old English, you could read the King James, or you could go to something similar to King James, but put into more modern English, the New American Standard Bible. So the point is, the first step is to read a group of translations, different translations, see where they vary. And that'll tell you whether there's uh, a debate going on, whether people have disagreement on the Greek word or, or the structure of the sentence, or how should we translate this? Okay. Now, if we go back, you say, okay, we, we read through all of these, we read through those verses. Now, where is the Greek? Well, you go right up here. This is the New Testament, so it's going to say Greek. If you happen to be in the Old Testament, it'll say Hebrew. You click on that, and now it's going to open up a page, and it's going to show you the Greek words that are in the background behind our English. And so it's Matthew 28, 19, the Greek word, porithentes, that we're interested in is right here. Okay, that's the participle for the verb to go or journey. Now, if we wanted to look at the underlying verb, what the participle is based off of, go right here. Just move over. You click on that, you'll see the underlying verb. But in this case, since it's in participle form, how do we know that? We go over here. Verb, aorist, passive, participle. That's what the V-A-P-P -P stands for. Okay? So this is how you can go in and figure out what the Greek is. At least see the Greek words. Now, to take it a step further, because what we want to do is search Matthew. Where is this word? Where do we find this word in Matthew? Or the rest of the New Testament, if you wanted to do that. So you click on that word. Now it's going to dig into every single time that word is used. So it's, it's the verb, aorist, passive, participle. And there's 15 occurrences, seven of which happen in Matthew, including the Great Commission. So now you can go through and read the other six and say, how else can we understand this word, this Greek word, and how we understand the sentence? What is, what is going on uh, in the context of that? So let's start here. I'm going to show you this one. This is Matthew 2.8. Matthew 2.8 is in the very beginning of Matthew. This is King Herod and the uh, wise men from the east. So the wise men show up, and they say, hey, there's a king that was born. They figure out the king was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And now Herod, of course, is going to, he's going to try to trick them. But Herod's going to say something to these, to the wise men. And so now here's a comment from Matthew. And he sent them to Bethlehem. So that's Matthew adding in the context of what's happening. And then we would ask, well, how do we read this sentence, right? So it says, go. Here's the go, and this is in participle form. That's the one we were just like in uh, the Great Commission. Go and search, and that's the imperative. 
right? So the sentence is, go and search. Go and search for what? For the young child. That's what he wants them to do. Now, the question, when we read this sentence, go and search diligently for the young child, when we read that, is Herod giving them a command to go? Is there an emphasis on go? What does Herod want them to do? What's the main verb? To search. So the go in the sentence is obviously attached to the searching, right? If they're, who knows which palace they're in, but let's say they're in Jerusalem, the Herod's palace in Jerusalem, then they need to leave the palace in order to search Bethlehem. So it would make sense for him to say, go and search. But it's not a separate command. It's more like a figure of speech, right? I mean, like, you know, if your child, let's say your child can't find their football jersey, right? It comes into the kitchen, mom, I can't find the football jersey. And you're exasperated because this happens all the time. And you say, go check the laundry room. Now, are you giving them a separate command, go? No. In fact, what you want them to do is search the laundry room, right? But we say the word go, it has, at least takes on the form of, of, an, of an imperative, right? But you could just scream, search the laundry room. And you get the point across, because what you really want them to do is keep looking for their football jersey. This is what Herod wants to do. You would never read this and think that Herod is giving them a separate command to go. The going assists in the main verb to search. That's the imperative, okay? So you can see how this, the go takes on imperative-like nature, but it's not the main point, okay? Let me show you another one, because it's going to happen again. This is Matthew 11, uh, verse 4. What's happening here, John the Baptist is in jail. He sends some of his disciples over to Jesus. He says them, he kind of asks them a strange question. Are you the coming one? Which means, are you the Messiah? And if you're the Messiah, then why am I still sitting in prison? He says, are you the coming one? And how does Jesus respond? He says, go. Okay. Jesus answers them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Now we have the same structure. You have go, and it's in the form of a participle. In fact, the same one that's in uh, Matthew 28, 19. And then you have the imperative. Now, tell is what the New Heart English Bible translated. Some Bibles say, go report. And that's the imperative, right? And what does Jesus want them to do? Does he, is he giving them a separate command to go? Or is he giving the command to report to John? And obviously, it's to report. The going is part of it. In fact, the NIV translates it this way. Jesus replied, go back. So they add the word back, but that sets the context. Go back to John. You just came from John. Go back to John. So that, um, that participle here, the NIV decided, could be go back, and that helps the reader understand what Jesus is telling John's disciples to do. Not in the Greek, but it helps us, okay? Now, there, there were uh, six other ones. So there's three here. We have this 
Korouphentes, the Greek word in the participle form, and three times Matthew 21.6, Matthew 22.5, and Matthew 27.66, they get translated as went. And that's obviously, in this case, you can see how the past tense is coming out of that. That's why sometimes a Bible translation will put even the Great Commission, having gone, make disciples, because it's past tense. Okay, so one more thing we can do before we wrap this up. So one thing we could say is, hey, Matthew, have you ever used that Greek word for go? Is it in imperative form, a form of command? And the answer is yes. And this is a very interesting one. So Matthew 10, 6, and 7. Jesus is sending his disciples out. And what does he tell them? Go. Now that's an imperative. Go. Where are we going? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go with your message first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And there the go is imperative. He's giving them a command. Now, look at verse 7, because now we go back to our having a participle for go, followed by an imperative. And as you go, so now it's verb, present, middle, or passive participle, just like we've what we were looking at earlier. And as you're going, here comes the imperative, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus wants you to do, is make the proclamation. Okay, so it is found in the imperative form in Matthew. Important to know when you're making the argument to try to clarify the Great Commission. Okay, quick summary. We talked about this idea. Matthew uh, 28, 19, we have therefore go, and then we have make disciples. And what happens or what has happened over time, particularly in the last couple hundred years, is this go gets overemphasized until we have entire sermon series titled Go, until people talk about the Great Commission from the pulpit as a command to go, when really it's this, the emphasis has to be on make disciples. And it's no wonder Dallas Willard has to write a whole book and how we've missed the disciple-making part, because we've been focused on the go. Where do you place your emphasis? Okay, let me leave you with two quotes, and these are on the handout. These are, um, these are good summaries of the argument, okay? This is from a book. It's called Discipling the Nations by Richard DeRider, okay? And this is what he says. He says, It should be noted that the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 finds its center in make disciples of all nations. That's the center of the commission. He goes on. Three participle clauses modify the main verb. The first one, having gone, or as he says, in the sense of when you go. So there's a past tense to it. What are you going to do? Baptizing and teaching. And then he writes, they elaborate the command to make disciples. The disciples of Jesus are to help other nations, and I would argue people, to become what they are. They are disciples of Jesus, and they're going to go out 
and make other disciples. So we go back to this diagram. The participles support the making of a disciple, and that's the main verb. Now he goes on to write this, and I think this is key. He says, There has been, and still is, current a popular misrepresentation of this command of Christ. The emphasis is placed on the going. This is what we've been talking about. Whereas actually the emphasis is on the task of making disciples, for that is the primary verb, making disciples. Then he says this, even if one takes go in Greek in the sense of an imperative, how much of the imperative force do you give it? This does not change the main verb for the central commission. Now, I like what he says here. He says, look, what's tragic about having the wrong emphasis attributed to this command is that it isolates the command from the rest of the witness of the Bible. So that simply the going into the world becomes the fulfillment of Christ's demand. Now, the rest of the Bible wants us to follow and become Christ-like. And then he says, look, obviously, not everyone can go into all the world, but each can start from where he is. Because what if you can't go? What if you don't have the opportunity to go? And people think, if I don't go, then I'm not fulfilling a command. But that's not true. You can, and this is the whole point. Not everybody can go, but you know what everybody can do is be part of the process of making a disciple. Where? Wherever you are. At any level. Now, you have to have been a disciple of Jesus yourself. You have to have gone down the path. You have to know how to lead somebody down that path. Not everybody can do that. But the point is, we can create disciples right here. And those disciples, in creating the disciple, has an impact on the world for the kingdom of God. Okay? Now this all goes back to emphasis, right? How do you read it? Once you have that English translation, how do you read it? How is it talked about? Can we go back and emphasize the disciple-making and talk about actually what it means to make a disciple? Okay? So last week I gave you, this is my version. I would say, Therefore, go from here and make disciples of people from all nations, because you disciple individuals that eventually make up the group that we would call a nation. Make disciples of people from all nations. It's the 70 nations of the world that Israel was supposed to influence on behalf of God. That was their commissioning for Israel. Go be a light to the nations, the goyim. Okay? Now, what are we going to do? We're going to immerse them, not just a one-time sacramental baptism. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm all in favor of doing that. But immersion is a much longer sustained process. And what are we going to immerse them in? What's the agent of change? It's into the reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we immerse them into the reality of God, and then we add to that the teaching them. Now we get something that's a transformational, the power to transform an individual in a way that they naturally obey 
everything that Jesus commanded. Okay? And then, if you do this, that's how I would say that, meaning, look, if you don't go out and make disciples, then my spirit is not really with you. But if you're in the process of making disciples, then I'm part of it, Jesus is saying. I'll be there until the end of the age. And when we get to the the part about other Bible commissionings, check it out. Go read some of them. Every time God gives somebody a mission, he said he reminds them, I'm going to be with you the whole time. Don't worry. And every human being is a little unsure about this commissioning. Moses wasn't really sure. Isaiah wasn't really sure. Gideon was testing God. Is, is this really what you want me to do? It's not like human beings have a clear picture all the time of what the future is. So God says, I'm going to be with you the whole time. Okay. Now, here's our list. So we already did, this was last week, we did that, a little bit of the history of the Great Commission, at least the phrase, what we call that. We talked ad nauseum about the command. Where's the imperative? What do we do with that word go? How much force of the imperative do we give that word go? Now, next week, then we're going to get into disciple making. We're going to talk about the difference between a disciple and a convert. And then we're going to talk about what was first century. Judaism, the disciple-making process, and why it was so important that when those disciples of Jesus finally became just like him, the world changed because they transformed themselves, right? Even poor Peter, you know, he's waffling all over the place. He wants to be a rock, but he isn't. He's wobbly, but he transforms himself into what Jesus told him he could be, the rock. And it's very interesting to see he names him rock, and then that's the last thing that Peter is until finally he catches the vision and he transforms into fully a disciple of Jesus, which is to become just like Jesus. Okay, so that's what we'll do next week. What do you mean by disciple? What's the difference between disciple and convert? And as we start lining all of these things up, I think you'll see there's tremendous power in what we're commanded to do. There's potential, but the potential is inert. We have to bring it to life by actually doing it, by making disciples, by one, being a disciple of Jesus, and two, making a disciple.